Whoa, welcome once again to the Leading to Reason Diversion. This is episode 235. I am your host, the Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Christine Riz. Was that sexist? I guess it was. Yes, yeah, but thank sexist. you. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> that was... <laughs> Benevolent uh, sexism. And today we have a special guest with us, uh, Dr. Michael Rechtenwald, who is the author of a new book that is coming out on August 1st. You can get it on, on Amazon, for, uh, pre-order it now. It's called Springtime for Snowflakes, a very provocative title. And Michael is a professor of liberal studies at New York University, and there he teaches writing and cultural history. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Michael. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I, this thank is going to. Yeah, thank you. Uh, this is going to be. Well, this is kind of right down my, you know, in my bailiwick because I, I've been monitoring what's been going on in universities, particularly in Canada. But uh, it's hard not to notice some of the stuff that goes on in the United States. And you've had your own run-ins with the social justice crowd, the ideological version of it, for sure. Yeah. And it, or oh, dogmatically yeah. ideological. And we're going to discuss. Uh, but I think we'll start with your own personal experiences at, at, at a university when you posted that uh, article on uh, a student who I, I thought this was a supremely wonderful way of uh, protesting, you know, gender pronouns, uh, you know, select your own gender pronouns. And he chose mm. uh, his majesty, which I think is this yeah. beautiful. And then yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, it started from there. Yeah. So what happened when after you posted that story? Yeah, I mean, this was in the fall of uh, 2016. It was like late December, roughly. And, I'm sorry, September. And uh, yeah, the student posted the the student uh, issued his uh, pronoun choice of His Majesty at the University of Michigan, and uh, then it became you know uh, news because it was such a blasphemous thing to do in, in uh, violating the social justice creed and uh, then all hell broke loose on my uh, Facebook account I had a lot of uh, leftist friends probably 3,000 of them at, at that point uh, and many of them were trans uh, not many but you know a significant number anyway uh, I then I, I posted this link without comment and then I just I merely went to teach class. I had two classes back to back, and after I got out of those classes, I saw that the uh, the feed had gone insane. I mean, there were hundreds and hundreds of posts and arguments and uh, denunciations and uh, many, many instant messages or whatever to me directly, uh, calling me a foe and uh, having committed accusing me of having committed discursive violence and. Uh, having betrayed the trans community all for posting this link on a humorous uh, story. So that, that's when I decided that this was like, I call it my uh, social justice tipping point. And at that point, I decided to create the anti-PC NYU prof Twitter account. At that I called him the deplorable NYU prof, and I should probably explain that. 
What I wanted to do was to vote, voice uh, sort of solidarity with those flyover states people that Hillary Clinton had consigned to the basket of deplorables. This was not indicative of Trump support, but rather the, you know, a sort of statement about the elitism of uh, Clinton and the whole liberal left uh, elite paying for uh, the majority is palpable. So I uh, used that handle and uh, started a tweet about peaks of social justice and PC authoritarianism. And soon after that, I was noticed by a report for the Washington Square News, which is the uh, NYU student newspaper. Interviewed me, and I said, "Sure, sure, I'm going to go on the record." But after I gave the interview, I just thought, "Well, this is what I'm saying is important, and I feel perfectly fine saying it." And yet, after it appeared, the interview appeared, um, then uh, 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 the whole uh, certain elements of administration and faculty and uh, mobilized to to uh, condemn me, and actually. Uh, pushed me into a leave of absence. So they keep lying about it. They called the meeting with the dean and the head of human resources. I didn't call any meeting, and they, in the meeting, they started to squeeze me into this idea that I needed help. Um, a lot of reasons why I acceded to their uh, uh, their. And they're imploring me to take a leave of absence because I had things on the line. Uh, one of them being promotion that I had five, four, six months previous, um, and things like that. So it it all broke loose from there. Strangely enough, after I got out of that meeting with uh, the dean, in which they decided to go on a leave, I agreed. Uh, what it was voluntary, quote unquote, but under enormous stress and coercion. And then um, <clears throat> went on that leave, and uh, then the New York Post called me that minute and somehow knew more about the story than I did, that there had been this open letter written against me in the same paper, Washington Square News. I didn't know about that before the meeting with the dean, and they damned me roundly. All kinds of, they, they declared me guilty uh, for the structure of my thinking, in other words, for my ideological uh, framework. Uh, so I was guilty for that. Not wrong, but guilty, which is a whole different level of condemnation. That is a moral... Uh, they condemn me morally. They, they made it a moral issue and that some sort of a, a criminal, you know, crimes committed. I kind of liken this kind of thing to L'Etranger, you know, uh, Camus' uh, book, seminal book, where, you know, you yeah. know what you did, now prove your innocence. Yes. And it was, it's, uh, it's a, you're, you're about the, it's a number of people have brought that novel up in, in, in relation to this uh, situation <laughs> lately. I didn't shoot anybody on a beach, but uh, <laughs> I did fire off some, uh, you know, I, you know, they were just, they were satirical tweets. Some of them were, you know, some of them were. There was a little bit of hyperbole there, but not really. I was trying to get at. In fact, by the end of the year of that year, 2016, what I said wasn't hyperbolic at all because by that 
by the end of that academic year, you know, Berkeley's campus had been burned down, you know, yeah. over yeah. a speaker that they didn't like. And, you know, all kinds of things actually took place. Uh, Brett Weinstein was run out of uh, Evergreen. Uh, school, basically. Yeah. A, a social justice militia took over the entire Evergreen College campus. Yep. Uh, so, I mean, this stuff just escalated. I was just predictive, really, of what was going to happen. And they said I didn't have any evidence for what I was saying. That's only because they didn't know what was going on, apparently. Uh, they didn't read the news or follow what's happening, or, m or maybe they don't care, or they thought, you know, they thought it was, um, you know, baseless. But that's just because that they don't have the, uh, the knowledge of the evidence doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Um, but anyway, then you know, it just became a big story. You know, cost the lab and uh, you know NYU tried to set me up with a. Uh, they, they tried to set me up and saying, you know, do you still want this leave of absence? And this was two weeks after the semester had already been, uh, two weeks later uh, had passed, two weeks had passed. They had handed off my classes to other people who did not follow my syllabus as promised, and uh, I couldn't go back. There was no way to go back. I'd actually subletted my apartment in New York. Once you do that, you have nowhere to live. So, I mean, it was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to stay on the leave, but a leave that they suggested. And, and so uh, I got back after that year, after that semester, I came back in the spring. By the end of the spring semester, I faced a barrage of email attacks from above, uh, a small group of faculty members uh, on a major series, a major listserv going out to over 100 people. And they called me everything from racist, sexist, uh, short pants, white boy to fragile white male and all kinds of things while they said i was a racist they, and sexist they hurled racist and sexist epithets at me which i had never done i never mentioned a single person by name i never mentioned any racial groups anything uh in individuals in any of my critiques they were institutionally uh, directed so that's where it is, and so I filed a lawsuit against those colleagues and NYU for failure to uh, mitigate and stop that abuse that went on for four days um, yeah. until I complained. So, so that that lawsuit is ongoing, of course, and uh, yes, yeah, they filed a motion to dismiss. Uh, they have a legal militia. I mean, they have a of course veritable yeah. army of lawyers um, opposing us. And so it's not easy, but uh, we'll see what happens. What What's the um, at New York, New York University? What is the student body like? Is it uh, progressive or is it? Uh, oh yeah, it's not. You know, the the liberal uh, ethos is doctrine. You know, and uh, it is dogma really. And the students, I understand. I mean, they're not they're not that. Uh, doctrinaire in the classroom per se but i understand in the dorms uh it's it's a social justice police state uh and uh you know i mean i understand that most of my students disagreed with some of the things i said for example i said you don't have a right not to be offended by what someone says yeah, i say that all the time yeah i said that in class i said you know i don't know where people get this idea that there's a right not to be offended i said there's no such right anywhere at least in the United States, we don't have that right. Um, and they were shocked. They just, they just don't understand that they have been put on, you know, they've been pretty much indoctrinated into these ideas um, that, that uh, the protection of people, uh, uh, their fragile 
identities and uh, like he's uh, paramount and that's the most important thing and everything should be centered that and uh, microaggression reporting against uh, offenders should be no problem. I don't see any any problem with that. I mean, the students and I get along great because I don't I don't fight with them. I open up uh, classroom to diverse an enormous panoply of views and perspectives, and I don't uh, I don't indoctrinate. Uh, unlike you, my you don't tell call. people uh, what to think. You you're you know teaching them how to think, right? Yeah, I teach yeah. them how to think through. What, through reading and studying examples of arguments and also different perspectives on arguments and different uh, critical standpoints and actually from various disciplinary uh, standpoints as well. Yeah. So how did, how did we get here? How did, how did this come about? I mean, it, it, social justice used to be about real issues. Mm -hmm. and, and for reasonable people, yeah. it still is. But how yeah. did we get here? I mean, it, it seemed to happen very quickly, and it's with a particular the the modern generation, the one that's just getting into university. Mm -hmm. uh, I know Jonathan Haidt uh, says that I actually came to the same conclusion that that a lot of this has to do with parenting and protecting, overly protecting children from failure, from dealing with ideas that they don't agree with. Yeah. This this is part of the pro this is part of it, but this this explanation fails to account for the ideological uh, predispositions of the professoriate that encourage this, and also the entire ethos of the university, which has been shaped by postmodern theory for the last forty to fifty years, and many of the ideas that are uh, being bandied about through social justice really come out of. Uh, Postmodern and other leftist academic uh, uh, theories and uh, ideas and uh, really dogma. And um, I, I trace that in the book. I, I show just how different ideas in the social justice worldview uh, come, you know, stem from these postmodern theoretical uh, origins. And some. Also in uh, critical theory, the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory as well, uh, and also from early, you know, even from Marxism. But there's been a great transmutation of leftist theory or leftist thinking from Marxism to social justice. And I say that in the book that postmodern theory is the missing link between these two: uh, the older leftism of Marxism and the new leftism of the new new leftism of social justice ideology. Uh, the inter uh, the interspecies there is postmodern theory, and the transmutations really took place in postmodern theory. The, the radical relativism, uh, the subjectivism, and the idealist philosophical idealism, and um, the social and linguistic constructivism, and on and on and on. Uh, I talk about all this in the book. Yeah, let's, let's start there. Like, what is postmodernism uh, in, in a nutshell? Uh, yeah, in a nutshell, post, well, let's say, uh, I, I want to limit it to postmodern theory. Postmodernism uh, also incorporates uh, other things besides postmodern theory, including the postmodern arts uh, movement in arts and architecture and, uh, and culture more broadly. So uh, I don't really 
you know, I have no, you can't condemn postmodern culture. Uh, you know, really, it's like condemning air or something. It happens to be just the Mary, the, the culture that we exist in. Uh, but theory is a different matter. So I, I limit this to postmodern theory. And postmodern theory is, and I could talk about postmodernism more broadly, but I think right now, just postmodern theory. It's an assemblage of theoretical positions uh, that grew out of a response to the failure of the student uh, movement in 1968 in France. Uh, the failure to overthrow the system uh, in conjunction with the public workers, the students rose up. They thought they were on the precipice of overthrowing capitalism. It did not happen. Uh, a a, a postmodern theory is a, was a pessimistic response to the failures of the left in, through uh, classical and other Marxist ideas to to uh, overtake uh, the social order as prescribed and instead of that what we had was failure and then a pessimistic response uh, uh, which is postmodern theory which claimed that in general uh, that master narratives like Marxism, Christianity, uh, you name it, any overarching explanatory theoretical understanding of the world that pretends to explain everything potentially uh, are in, are themselves oppressive and should be eschewed and in fact aren't you know aren't at all they don't at all account for reality so uh, postmodern theory was inaugurated as an idea by uh, Francois Lyotard in a book called the uh, 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 a report on knowledge the postmodern condition. 1979 and that book uh, argued about the presence of these master narratives and postmodernism is the response against these master narratives uh, these explanatory, master explanatory uber narratives that would explain all of social reality and instead uh, postmodern theorists tried to do more local and limited subversive things like uh, attacking the foundations of language as in deconstruction and post-structuralism, uh, subverting capitalism in very limited ways, as in uh, Michel de Sertou's notions in the practice of everyday life, or 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 uh, protesting and attempting to change institutions, as particularly as in the case of Michel Foucault and the prison system and the um, uh, the insane asylum. Uh, so there were more limited political uh, objectives, and this is where the idea of the political is local comes from. And so postmodernism or postmodern theory limits its actions to local actions, doesn't look for overthrowing the system, sees Marxism, in fact, as a master narrative in itself, something to be eschewed and, and potentially totalitarian. And in fact, it was, but not for the reasons they say. Yeah, it's interesting because you mentioned the Frankfurt School. They were rather Marxist in their thinking as well. Well, they were. And who, who were they, School actually? Theory, which came out of Frankfurt, and they were a group of Jewish intellectuals uh, uh, who formed a critical theory school. And they migrated to the, immigrated to the U.S. in 1933 uh, to escape Nazism. And... Uh, uh, the major figures that came over were uh, 
uh, Theodore Adorno and uh, Herbert Marcuse, and they settled it uh, uh, first at uh, Columbia and then at Berkeley and then elsewhere. They inaugurated two schools of thought, uh, or two disciplines, really. Uh, critical theory and also media studies comes from them. Uh, they were, in the case of Adorno and Horkheimer, they were a strange admixture of uh, high modernist elitism and Marxism, uh, <laughs> a kind of uh, uh, T.S. Eliot with Marxist sensibilities instead of uh, fascist ones. Uh, and they uh, critiqued mass culture, uh, particularly, and they critiqued the Enlightenment in this book, The Dialectic of Enlightenment. They, they critiqued the Enlightenment, and this was the beginning of the postmodern turn, if you will, when they critiqued Enlightenment rationality as as not the, the liberational or liberatory, as they put it, uh, element as in classical Marxism rationality or as in, in, in leftism from the French Revolution and before on. Rationality was seen as a tool to to undo oppression. Instead, they saw rationality, enlightenment rationality, at least one kind of it, which they called instrumental rationality, as part of the problem, actually a cage, uh, as in um, Weber's notion of the iron cage of rationality, which he saw as the commonality between the oppressive systems of the USSR and the United States. Rationality, bureaucratic rationality, rather than actually class, became the, 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 the real for, form, formative element in, in oppression and so forth. Wow. So they created this critique of an enlightenment rationality, which the postmodern theorists really picked up on and ran with. And, and one of the main, the, one of the main uh, art, uh, sort of axes to grind, the grind, uh, grinding, axes that they grind in postmodern theory is, is, enlighten, is the enlightenment rationality, which they see as uh, having been uh, mistakenly elevated and actually being a source of uh, domination over nature and over people. So they weren't very fond of science. Um, they, 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 well, they, they instituted a critique of science, uh, and it came under the rubric of this field called science studies. And science studies included sociologists, feminists, uh, Marxists, uh, all sorts of, uh, you know, um, pan-Africanists, uh, all these different critiques of science from different perspectives, including postmodern theory. And, uh, and this, uh, this critique of science involved the idea that uh, science was merely language for the most part, just like everything else, that it was no different than other human activities, in particular um, literature, for example. It's, it's like literature in the sense that it uses language and there's no real, uh, in, from the postmodernist standpoint, what they said was that language really had no d real connection to the object world that it describes. So uh, basically, it stands alone, and this is what Derrida said. He said there was nothing outside of text, which is to say that text reputedly pointed to ontological entities outside of itself. Now we're seen as strictly pointing to themselves, and that any ontologies that existed actually existed only in language. So this this involves this kind of involution of language as a sort of self-referential system that doesn't point to anything. So science becomes problematized because it is a system that depends on symbolics 
on language and other sign systems, right? So, uh, the yeah, they it's not that they, they thought that there and then they thought there could be a liberational science or liberatory science that didn't rely on such masculinist, uh, uh, phalo logocentric, uh, logocentric, uh, you know, notions of uh, that science was uh, dominated by. Yeah, they're talking about decolonizing science and stuff like that. Is that along the same? Yeah, all types of science just follows from all this. Yeah, still going on. So, what is social justice? Is kind of like a cartoon version of postmodernism. <laughs> it's like they took very highfalutin and quite complex ideas and they broke them down into like, uh, like sort of sound bites and idiot constructions it's like that's yeah that's a good point social justice is postmodernism for theory it should there should be a book out like that uh, well there probably uh, is actually <laughs> yeah do you find the um insights valuable from the postmodern perspective because my take is that um one chin threw out the baby with a bathwater, so to speak yeah, but were- it certainly has its criticisms that you know yeah, I mean, there's um, there are it's like everything else that makes assertions. There are elements of truth in it. Uh, the problem is that uh, there's, uh, for example, like this this guy uh, Bruno Latour, who was a science studies, he's a science studies theorist. He he probably yeah, we talked about him. Oh, you have talked about him? No, no, you and I have talked about him. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I know. Yeah. yeah. We're, Studying yeah, too. For yeah. first book. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, sorry. You were saying? No, no, you're saying. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I'm just saying that um, we were talking about B- Bruno Latour behind the scenes and. Yeah. Yeah. You His guys book uh, with Steve uh, Woolgar was called The uh, Laboratory Life of Construction of Science, The uh, Construction of Scientific Facts. Mm-hmm. And um, in that book, he suggested with, with uh, Woolgar that. Uh, science was really a matter of literary inscription. That's really what the product was. The product was writing. And that facts existed nowhere outside of the text. So very much along the same lines as Derrida, except applied strictly to science itself. Um, so they pulled a bit of... There's something to that, of course. It's true. Yeah, the rhetorical element. Like Latour talks about how... Um, a scientific paper um, is a rhetorical tool of persuasion, persuasion which... Yeah, sorry. That's, I think Yeah, that's, yeah. And, and, you know, you want your colleagues to take up your your theory and enact it. And, well, uh, yeah. There's yeah. A, there were some very good elements to the actor uh, network theory, which he inaugurated in the next book, and uh, makes a very bizarre move in it. I, I could talk about that, but, but uh, let me get this piece on the table about the construction of facts. Uh, so... There's truth to the idea that science consists of language and that that fact, you know, like the knowledge of in science is not, is textual. Knowledge is textual, yeah. It's symbolic and textual. But what they did is, through a piece of ledger domain, is that they conf- managed to conflate the knowledge about reality with the reality itself so that the object of science is in you know becomes involuted and enfolded within language itself and disappears into the text so yeah they had a point that 
Science depends upon language and linguistic and symbolic construction in order to make its you know, to make claims about truth, about facts, and so on and so forth. But the problem is that they they they, they played a very sort of strong-handed version of that, in which they suggested that facts exist nowhere outside of uh, of the text at all. So that the object world is really nowhere else but in the text, just like in deconstruction for Derrida. Uh, and similarly, like he's, you were right, they, they talk about how rhetoric, science is a series of rhetorical statements that are modalized and depend upon the, uh, the ascent and support of various actors along a network who contribute their various pieces of uh, support in terms of financial or um, rhetoric, uh, rhetorical or uh, even other facts participate and previous knowledge claims they into this this they pull into this network and then creates this uh, using like a black box and a black box analogy it creates object of scientific knowledge that is uh, durable, too difficult to unpack or overthrow, and that's when something becomes a fact um, mm -hmm. or an accepted theory. Um, Black box. An interesting, it's an interesting social network paradigm for understanding science. What he did next was said, strangely, that after you, uh, after you do construct these facts, you can no longer really aim to unpack them. Uh, as a sociologist, so he kind of he, he, he did it in two cases in this book uh, uh, Science in Action Science in Action yeah. demonstrated it in a couple, one technology and one science case and then said it can't be done so it was ridiculous but uh, the main point though for most of the people who are listening has to do with the idea that uh that in terms of the postmodern element of science studies, it, it really became a, a, a particularly uh, epistemological um, uh, nihilism, and that is they suggested basically there, there's really no knowledge that's at all being understood. I mean, anything can pass as scientific knowledge. It's just a matter of, uh, since nothing has any real correspondence any more than anything else to the object world, any theory is as good as any other. And this is a third. Um, and this was taken up by the physicist Alan Sokol when he yes. sent a paper to a social text edited by Andrew Ross and a bunch of other people, Andrew Ross at NYU, Alan Sokol at NYU, and both still there and both their both uh, two colleagues and friends. And actually, Andrew Ross is a friend of mine, but he fell for the uh, Sokol hoax in which uh, Sokol wrote a paper called um, uh, Transgressing the Boundaries on a I forget the subtitle, but the idea was that it was a. Uh, he, he argued in the paper that gravity, quantum gravity, mm -hmm. was a social and linguistic construct. Okay. It was. Yeah. It was totally it's impenetrable. Like geology nowadays, right? Uh, I, mean, yeah. the, 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 I read the they paper took it seriously, and they published it. It was a hoax. Yeah. He was totally. Yeah. He was totally hoaxing and scamming the entire field of science studies, showing what a ridiculous enterprise it was, at least in this postmodern incarnations. And, you know, they published it. And just the interesting thing is that only a few months before uh, Ross accepted that paper from uh, Sokol, 
he had suggested that it would it was ridiculous to argue that the science study scholars would would ever problematize something like gravity that they would ever deny something like gravity exists and what do you know Sokol writes a paper says that gravity is a construct that even the even the material world is problematized as existing <laughs> okay so uh, <laughs> They, they 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 saw this in in print. It's it's hilarious when you when you read it. It's it's hilarious. They say you know the very the very um, nature of existence has been problematized by quantum mechanics, and um, and they bought it. You know, uh, it got published, and he revealed the hoax in Lingua Franca later, and uh, he totally made a, a joke on laughing stock of the field, and yeah, yeah. all the. Uh, Postmodern theorists came to the rescue, like even uh, Stanley Fish in the New York Times. He he lambasted him for for that, you know, for being unethical, as if postmodern science studies wasn't unethical in the first. <laughs> it's it's uh, totally ethical to point out absurdities in in a field. Well, right. Peter Bogosian, do you, are you familiar with Peter Bogosian? I, yes, I'm sorry, yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yes, and yeah. Um, he did a similar thing. Uh, it had something to do it's with the, the penis conceptual and, penis. Right. Yeah, 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 conceptual penis. Yeah. <laughs> it, was about, it was called the conceptual penis. It was a, it was it was modeled after the Sokol hoax. It was a kind of mini Sokol hoax. Yeah, on uh, I guess it was on. Oh, I can't remember where it was. I, I don't know. What I'm trying it was to was some peer reviewed journal, I think, right? Yeah, but what is he parroting yeah. there? I forget. Uh, I did read it. They I guess the idea of um, uh, the patriarchy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. There was a study out about uh, you know the. That, uh, I don't know if you heard about this, but it was a. Uh, I think it was California or some state funded a study on glaciers, and they suggested the that glaciers glaciology. had never been studied from a feminist standpoint. Sorry, okay. what did you say? Late. Glaciology. Glaciers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somebody didn't yeah. believe me that that was a real thing, and I, I sent them the abstract, and they, you weren't kidding. I'm like, no, I wasn't kidding. It's, it, it's out there. Well, well, there's that real peer review on Twitter, right? Yeah, that's where I, I saw it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is a post. This is a social justice version of science studies, and you see that it gets like a, like I said, it's like a cartoon version of postmodern theoretical ideas. Uh, the conceptual penis was uh, printed in the skeptic uh, later, I guess, and it's uh, oh, called yeah. a uh, conceptual penis as a social construct, a Sokol style hoax on gender studies. That's the follow up article where they reveal what they did. And uh, I don't know, the paper was about, uh, what did it address? Uh, the penis. Vis-a-vis -vis maleness is an incoherent construct. We argue that the conceptual penis is better understood not as, as an anatomical organ, but as a gender-performative, highly fluid social construct. Um, but what, what are they saying? This with reference to I still don't know, but I can look it up. Well, it's, it's supposed <laughs> to be totally uh, impenetrable language, so you can't get yeah. published in those fields without that. You know. Yeah. But and there is a obviously there's a, a form of language where you do get ex, you know these things do get ex accepted as peer reviewed papers, right? Oh yeah, and there's a there's a Twitter um, there's a Twitter account that publishes uh, oh, yeah, uh, new peer reviewed papers and shows how ridiculous these peer reviewed papers are yeah. that get yeah. 
and real some peer of, review. Yeah, new Twitter. real peer, yeah, peer yeah. review. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, I mean, it's it's it shows you what the social sciences and parts of, and humanities have come to in many cases, and it's pathetic. But yeah, that, it's just parading around a bunch of prefabricated lexical units and plugging them together like Legos in a series. <laughs> exactly. I, I keep saying that that it's, you know, it may be syntactically correct, but it has absolutely no meaning. You know, I, it, it's just literally word salad. I mean, yeah, sir, it, it passes an English exam, but it doesn't say yeah. anything. And it's, it's, it's plug and play language, you know. Oh, it's it's yeah. like Orwell said about, uh, about political language, that it isn't really what they do is they take these stale, they take these charged ling lingu uh, you know, linguistic units and plug them together, and together they vibrate and create some sort of effect. <laughs> but that's the argument. That, that, that That's all they do to make this argument is to plug. First, they charge these memes with, you know, extra meaning and intensity, like, oh, my God, if it's phallocentric, if it's this, if it's that, you know, that's bad. So. Throw that stuff together, phallocentric, uh, colonialist, uh, masculinist, uh, andro, 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 you know, androcentric, uh, blah, blah, blah. You piece all these things together, and then they, they come out with this effect. It's like a, it vibrates at a higher frequency. Yeah, Deepak uh, Chopra does exactly the same thing, except he makes more money. Who's that? Deepak Chopra. Deepak Chopra, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> he does exactly yeah. the same thing. Artist and write poetry if you like, but don't pass it off as uh, like an empirical uh, social class. science or psychology. You know, I mean, if you're going to write poetry, write poetry. Do it. Go yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it boggles the mind some of the stuff that comes out on uh, new real peer review because I, I remember the whiteness of it, the oppressive whiteness of Antarctica is another one. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, air conditioning is sexist um, what's, uh, oh, nature yeah. is racist blah 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 right um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was on leave there was a 12 inch snowfall in, in New York and I posted a tweet about how the snowfall was white supremacist <laughs> uh, and, you know yep. uh, uh, it was erasing color difference and so on and so forth yeah <laughs> but you also have a secular side to you uh, you're, you're involved in, in being very secular well, I have a sec. I, I shouldn't say that I'm not a secular advocate type. I'm a scholar of secularism, uh, and uh, there's a difference. Um, I uh, have done work on secularism, 19th century British secularism in particular. I have a book on that. Deals uh, with science, religion, and literature, and particularly the main character there is George Holyoke, who actually coined the word secularism and secularist, uh, and. Uh, what he, uh, you know, some, I have a really in, uh, particular argument about what secularism was, and it wasn't anti-religious at all. It wasn't an anti-religious movement or an, or an atheist movement at all. In the, in the outset, it was a, actually, Holyoke was, was reacting more to the vitriolic uh, negation of the working class or uh, atheist movement than he was to religion. Uh, he was... Uh, offering an alternative to that um, atheist movement and suggesting that secularism would not would abstain from making uh, declarative statements about God and whether God exists or not, and instead would simply be a union of both religious and non-religious people to improve secular conditions, conditions in this world, in this life. 
So it, it's kind of transformed from from that to yes. uh, you know separation of church and state. How, how did that thinking? Uh, there's two different uh, there's two different types of uh, two different branches of secular. One is called worldview secularism, which is this branch that I'm talking about with Holyo. Mm-hmm. This is the ideational or ideological, if you will, I uh, no, uh, element of secularism or type of secularism. It's not about political it's not political secularism which is the other type political secularism is the type of secularism that is involved in actual state politics hmm. uh, worldview secularism is a for lack of a better word it's a creed um and it depends even that creed changed uh very soon after holyoke inaugurated secularism in 1852 or 1851 uh and started a secularist federal federalist fe- secular union uh, with different uh, headquarters, different uh, secular groups throughout the country, but they were in a kind of loose federation. Uh, then Charles Bradlaugh came along very soon after, and he was a very bombastic and uh, he was more rhetorically gifted with uh, than, than Holyoke, and he resu- he returned secularism. He take, took secularism. And, and, convert, and made it into an anti, uh, anti, into an atheist movement. He said you could not have se- secularism was atheist. There was a debate between Holyoke and him in, I think, 1870, and they argued it out about how, you know, Holyoke said secularism was not atheist. It was not meant to be atheist. It's, it's, that's, it, it didn't have a declare, it, did, it was a, it was a, uh, sort of a methodological materialism rather than a, than a philosophical one. That is, it only operated, it only, it did not make uh, declarative statements about the existence or non-existence of God, that it's, uh, it, it, it simply limited its, its scope of reference to the material. And this actually is, a, I argue in the book, is a precursor to Huxley's uh, scientific naturalism and agnosticism. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was Huxley that coined the term agnostic, but, uh, you know, it, it's... The difference between methodological and philosophical naturalism uh, is, operationally speaking, there's really no difference. But uh, it, it, you know, the the philosophical naturalism does make a claim. Um, It's uh, yeah, it's interesting to look at the history of that. And uh, actually, I'm going to have to go look that book up (laughs) because I'd like to see the uh, how that. Line of thinking changed, you know that that rivulet of of thought changed over mm-hmm. time, and yes. it, yeah, it's uh, because you know humanism be- is uh, has a long history, and it wasn't uh, always associated with atheism, and probably still it doesn't uh, need to be. Started in religion, started in a religious tradition in Catholicism with Erasmus, who was a monk. Yeah, and yeah, trying to negotiate bad aspects of you know or incorrect aspects of scripture with um, you know that which we would be more inclined to accept as secular people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it was just a, it was just a reorientation of of human life to some extent at first, sort of recalibration, suggesting that humans should be concerned with human flourishing on their own terms rather than as as relating to or judged by or in in conjunction with or as against uh god and so it was just about a new understanding of human flourishing and the and the calibration and the sort of way of 
regarding that flourishing, whether that flourishing was uh, to be understood in, in terms of the human scale or in the, in the terms of the divine scale. Uh, and then it got it, it got transmuted with uh, when, when Protestant Reformation came around. Uh, there was much more opportunity to divorce it from uh, from you know theism entirely, and they did. Yeah. Then there was, of course, the, the secular humanism, which it was a pejorative actually when it was uh, first coined by. Um, it was a British uh, C of E bishop, I think. It, coined it mm. if not the archbishop and yeah. we took that and uh, that pejorative and ran with it and yeah. you know it, it's like thank you <laughs> that's a great thing with scientific naturalism it was pro- yeah. it was first uh, the, the phrase was first used by uh, uh by a religious uh, uh interlocutor who suggested that it, you know it was a, a horrible uh, divorce of science and humanity and their enterprises from connection with God, and it was yeah, it was a pejorative. It was an epithet, and then Huxley apparently read it, and in, in in fact, in the Secularist Journal edited by Holyoke. So that's what I'm saying. Holyoke actually, I think, invented scientific naturalism, and uh, Huxley took credit for it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which always happens, especially when you're dealing with working class intellectuals like Holyoke and. Uh, who had much less, uh, you know, stature and ability to defend himself and to assert himself than somebody like Huxley did. Yeah, that was a much more common thing in uh, uh, the 1800s because uh, back then it was like a gentlemanly pursuit kind of thing. Uh, natural history and and that sort of uh, and and philosophical ah, yeah. philosophical thought in general. Yeah, you didn't turn to to some uh, infidel working class periodical to get your you know, your philosophy. That was, but it, incidentally, there was there was there was a lot developed there, especially through Holyoke. I think in cafes, <laughs> there there were breeding prime breeding grounds for for new thought. It was, it's yeah, interesting. Right. You know, it's uh, it was it's amazing how that social interactivity created so many ideas. Uh, yeah, just, and the working class in, infidels, as they were called, they preceded the middle class. Uh, uh, crisis of faith, as it was called, and as it's been called regarding uh, Victorian Britain, by 30, 30 years. They, they were way out ahead of all this. And they were also promoting evolutionary theory way before Darwin came on the scene. Oh, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Darwin's grandfather was uh, actually one of the prime movers on that. And, That's right. Uh, yeah, Erasmus, prime mover, uh, I like Erasmus. that. <laughs> yeah, Erasmus Darwin. His book, Zoonomia. Zoonomia has, a, has a, a, a chapter in the back which deals with what we call evolution. He didn't call it that. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, these things, you know, the great ideas are, are come at, at a time where, where it's ripe for it to happen. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Darwin, would he have ever come up with that he probably wouldn't have if if people hadn't already put the seed of of it in in his mind uh, yeah i'm, I'm sure mean, his grandfather for goodness sake had a developed yeah. theory of evolution that was different than his but it's more lamarckian but still yeah. he did and so he had to have read that and certainly knew sure. that this was you know something to think about if your grandfather had written about that such a, a, a earth-shattering idea he buried it in the back of the book 
But if you knew that your grandfather, you'd, you'd probably peer into that book and take a look and see what he was saying, right? Yeah. yeah. They, would, they would either do Darwin that. Is credit, credited with introducing the mechanism for. That's right. Yeah. It yeah. A, yeah he got Not it. so much discovering in evolution, but the Broad mechanism. strokes, he got it right. Yeah. But he didn't know yeah. certain things, but. Well, he didn't really, but, yeah. um, you know, he certainly launched the um, theory that uh, was confirmed by all kinds of, you know, not just within biology, but outside that field into astronomy and geology and. Yeah. Well, science in general yeah. did that, right? Because you know people believed in uh, uh, what's the that uh, the guy that came up with the age of the Earth plate uh, tectonics. No, no, no. That that was much okay. later. Uh, the I cannot remember his name. Check about the, uh, the biblical, inheritance of acquired characteristics. No, no. The biblical uh, the guy who did analyze the the Bible and said, okay, the Earth is six thousand. You know, it was. He came up with the exact time. Actually, I, I'm wondering what what uh, time zone, but he, n- he never put that <laughs> down. The genealogist, it, it, it's in, it's in the, Yeah, they used the genealogy. Yeah. Uh, I can't okay. remember yeah. his name. Uh, to oh, exactly. the age of the earth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the main the main discourse there was called higher criticism, and it was a uh, an, an, an sort of an anthropological naturalistic study of of, the, of scripture by 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 religious by religious people by 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 ministers in the Anglican uh, Church, so they they uh, they did this kind of naturalistic study of the Bible was the first time that it had been undertaken, and this uh, this was one source uh, reputedly of the middle class crisis of faith. Yeah. Uh, well, any time that you know they started looking at the world outside of scripture it started to be an oo moment like the guys that were they would see rocks fall uh, how often does a rock fall uh, in this valley in in scotland and uh, the response is oh about every 20 years and then they started counting all the rocks that had fallen it's like <laughs> there's something wrong here um yeah, I've opened up the phone lines, by the way, if you want to call us uh, at one five eight seven two eight eight one zero six seven. if anybody wants to call and has a question for Michael. And another is, yeah, we're just going to be hop skipping over a bunch of topics. Oh, you know, I wanted to bring up this article in Quiet. Cool. Let me do one thing. It's a oh, sure. the yeah, social justice movement to the secular stuff. Just one thing. Yep. And that is, I'm arguing that social justice is a religion. And that's so the problem. Yeah, and that's the way to approach it and to uh, overtake it. Yeah, yeah I was actually yeah. going to go back to the social justice uh, thing because uh, uh, this article in Quillette. I don't. Mm-hmm. Want, I don't. I want to pronounce it Quillette because French. But anyway, oh. uh, uh, through the Looking Glass at Concordia University, and so many things like that. People, it was. They were showing a, a video. Uh, about this deaf mother who had a deaf, deaf child, and the uh, mother and and a child were going to get cochlear implants, but when the mother found out that she wouldn't ha- get the same benefit as the baby would because she's an adult now, that then she canceled it for both. And and you know I would say well that's. You know, wouldn't you want the best for your child, uh, kind of thing? And that's exactly what this—the person who wrote this article in Quillette—said. Uh, and uh, somebody said, uh, "You just feel that way because you're white, cisgendered, abled, and privileged." 
Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. You know, well, it, you're hearing privileged, I suppose, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. why wouldn't you know, like, why what? Yeah. What, well, who wouldn't want to offer their child? Just that one extra sense that could, you know, well, Chris, help you're, you you're just a you know, white, you know, cisgendered, able privileged. What's that? You're just white, cisgendered, and privileged. How dare you? <laughs> and hearing privileged. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that, this kind of example is that is that sort of what's going on in, in, in yeah. universities. Yeah, that, that is, and uh, I, I, I think I can explain what it's about in terms of it's called ableism and. Uh, Yes. Uh, this idea that uh, suggesting that uh, people with certain abilities that are, you know, uh, generally afforded to the human being are better off than people that don't have those abilities. This idea is being thrown overthrown. It's a, it's a kind of, high, you know, it's a sort of, uh, it establishes a sort of hierarchy of ability and is therefore unjust and must be abolished and eradicated so that uh, there's actually an inversion of the high social of the hierarchy that goes on in social justice that is those who have been subordinated or are lowest on the totem pole or whatever hierarchical structure you want to call it are on are, are it's when the, when it's inverted they end up on the top so everything is upside down so uh, Basically, since the white male has been supposedly the dominant privileged character in history, he must be relegated to the bottom and shit on. And he's no longer allowed to speak about certain things, particularly in having to do with others, other big others, uh, those who are subordinated in any way. He can't possibly know anything about their. Uh, positions and their knowledge base. Therefore, he's excluded from these discussions and should shut up. Yeah, um, yeah. The whole well, shut what, up and what is basically called the oppression scale, right? It's you get oppression points. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what Basil says. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Victim, victimhood that, is the it's, new. It's a Sorry. race that runs downhill, as I say in the book. Um, <laughs> except <laughs> that when you run downhill, you somehow end up at the top. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's uh, it's. I liken it to what I always say is victimhood is the new empowerment. It, right. it, it is, uh, or status actually, probably a better way of putting it. Victimhood is identity. the new status. Our identity status. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, yeah. Identity it, politics. False yeah, false. identity politics. It's a, the bane of of humanity. It is an identity politics. Identity is the it is the way of ranking people. Is these yeah. be their identities that the ranking system is established and set up and um you know uh this is how you know we 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 rank people and then they're courted in for example in a certain uh, what they call progressive stacking in the classroom Mm -hmm. there is actually a pedagogical um pedagogical tool called progressive stacking in which the, the professor calls on those most subordinated first, then the next least, you know, next subordinated, then the next subordinated, and so on and so forth. So if you have a black, lesbian, trans person, they're definitely going first. And the white, straight male, of course, speaks last and therefore probably never. If at all. Yeah. And completely, this is called social justice, right? <laughs> Cosmic justice, I think, is. Totally anti egalitarian. <laughs> And you know, in the social justice world of in the social justice utopia, 
it's not democratic because some people will not get a say because they're not getting a say anymore. You know, not obviously they're not going to get a say. They have no say in anything. They should shut up. <laughs> Identity politics, I, I liken to the new astrology. It says everything about you without knowing anything about you based mm-hmm. on your immutable characteristics, you know, or mm-hmm. based on the stars. Same thing. It, it's just as valid as that is to say. That's right. And, and as invalid. such, it's an essentialism, essentialism, which is something that has been decried in the leftist academic circles for 50 years. Anything that <laughs> is not ironic. to people in essence from which they can't escape has been the the bugaboo, something to be utterly avoided, hated, and decried. And instead, they marshal essentialism all the time. Mm-hmm. Only they're allowed to. Only they're allowed to. That's, that, That's yeah, uh, an exactly. interesting take, but it seems pretty accurate to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. It's yeah. Fits all the you know hits all the points. That's for sure. Just yeah. I haven't heard the word essentialism for a very long time now. Yeah, and now actually, you the last kind of bring it up it, as a theoretical yeah, criticism. Last, yeah, yeah. That's exactly the word. You know. Uh, the yeah. last time I heard the word essentialism was when uh, we were. T- it was a example on wearing of. Uh, oh, I can't remember his name. He's a. He's been at TAM a few times speaking. It was. He's a neuroscientist, and he'd he'd give a sweater out to people to try on, and and then what if I told you if that that sweater was worn by a, a, a serial killer and no one tries it on because they they believe that somehow it, it would transfer to them right. <laughs> it's, right. it's interesting yeah. of course it, it, yeah. it's, essentialism is interestingly you know it was it was first used as against the idea of gender as a social construct right mm-hmm that 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 uh, in, in terms of human beings that is an identity i mean there's philosophical essentialism and things like that but i'm talking about gender essentialism where it was thought that if you ascribe to women or men traits that were you know conventionally and always associated with them and unavoidably associated with them then that was a form of essentialism and you shouldn't you shouldn't ascribe to people traits like that but when transgenderists uh, theory uh, mobilizes essentialism in this notion of the sex brain uh, that is they're supposedly people who are in the wrong bodies have the, the brain of the opposite gender or sex that's why they're that's their ultimate explanation for transgenderism that i am a male but i have a female brain that is an essentialism if i ever heard one that is ascribing to females a certain type of brain that is strictly theirs, you know, and that may be true that there is a female brain, but it's, yeah, it's just, I'm just underscoring the contradiction yes. of yeah. yeah. who are allowed to do whatever they want with all the bad, uh, the bad ideas. Uh, the yeah, what does it mean to be a woman in the first place, right? That's an essential category if you just yeah. level it down to a stereotype or a, you know. Well, yeah. my, my position yeah. is, is that the, these stereotypes or, or beliefs are based in biology, um, but the problems happen when we start thinking binary and, and mm-hmm. not statistically, because there's a lot of overlap in, in between in behavior between men and women. But they, but it, they are they they do exhibit different behaviors. I mean, it would be a shock 
that they didn't because I mean just about yeah. every animal a on the planet is, but they're not all they're not, there's an not overlap of sameness and a binary differences yeah. I mean, yeah. what's the part to understand about that it's a Venn diagram, people. Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But but you say that, and the social justice people come out of the woodwork. Like, uh, uh, and you cannot say the word biology. Yeah, you can't no, say not. evolutionary psychology. Mm-hmm. You can't invoke yeah. these fields or these notions in a gender studies class unless you want to lose your head. Yeah, and, and that the, is so unbelievable to me yeah. because, like, it seems to me the whole point of academia is to be able to. Um, you know, like look through certain lenses mm-hmm. and, and be able to um, look, if you're looking through the world at only one lens, you're going to see a very warped perspective of it. But, you know, mm-hmm. like if you balance out, okay, um, feminist theory with something like evolutionary psychology, mm-hmm. you get a much broader picture. So why would you want to reject uh, this, this knowledge? It's, it's exactly. just so bizarre to me. Yeah. Like, that, well, that you're not honest in your academia if you're um, deliberately, uh, what, what's the word I use? Um, uh, willful ignorant ignorance, mm-hmm. right? Denying competing theories. Mm-hmm. That's willful ignorance, and that's academic dishonesty. Well, that's what that Quillette article mentioned. That she talked about how, as the as the year went on, her first year in graduate school, her the, the scope of of thinking narrowed further and further, and yeah. more as more and more things are proscribed are verboten and ideas are utterly off the table the world starts to shrink and her pers- she saw that her perspective was being forced into shrinking and the mm-hmm. only the only relief for her is realizing that there's a, a world outside of academia unfortunately academia is reproducing those people that are outside of it as well and so the ideologies that are being perpetrated or promulgated in, in, in academia are being are being spread throughout the whole social body. They're not just limited to the. It's not the idea that this is some phenomenon on an ivory tower is utterly belied by the fact that universities are ideological state apparatuses reproducing certain um, ideological constructs across the whole social body. Yeah, uh, when you import academic, um, I guess, ideas into the broader culture. It's 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 like unleashing a monster because a lot of people take things up that they really don't understand the background of and that kind of thing. It right? becomes like I said, a social justice cartoon. Yeah, character. A caricature. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's a factory. It, yeah, it really. Yeah. You get Google is what you end up with. You, if you put it in the corporate America, you get Google. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is in lunatic asylum, you know. Yeah, it used to be something about innovation now it's <laughs> it's about innovation all right there's people yeah. there that are innovating their identities into a, a wingless uh, yellow dragonfly uh, that's what they identify as and the side of an ornate building that's their identity okay that's the innovation that's yeah. going on there. <laughs> yeah well the, the problem the problem with university students that get indoctrinated with these ideas is that they graduate <laughs> that's the, exactly. big, the biggest problem and yes. they are they're released and end up holding positions of power and influence exactly yeah yeah well yeah. i don't know about the gender studies students but yeah. well yeah yeah i mean again like if you if, if you look into the rich academic history of certain fields um you you can derive a lot of really good things from it but if you just deploy it out there without any nuance well what do you expect no right? nuance is dead i keep saying it it's, it's, What's it's, dead? Nuance is dead. Yeah, yeah. It's gone. Yeah. 
Oh, we have a caller in the line. Apparently. Do we have a caller in line? Do we? No, no, we don't. I think so. Oh no, that's oh, me. Okay. I, 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 never mind. I'll just get rid of that. No, we don't. Okay. We'd like to have a caller on the line. <clears throat> yeah. We've got um, um, comments. Yeah, comments. Go for it. Yeah. No, I've been watching, and Vincent is on Facebook, and we've got uh, Brenda Fly and Todd Clemson on YouTube. But yeah, we don't have a, we don't have a big audience right now. I have to admit. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they're what, don't what worry they about it. It'll be up. doing otherwise. I, I don't understand it. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on, guys. Got to watch this damn yeah, thing. Yeah, call us. That'll go out. Oh, see, now it's yeah. Call us. So resort to shaming tools again. I'm <laughs> yeah, no kidding. We'll, we'll resort to Frankfurt School critical theoretical. Uh, <laughs> we will, we will, we will delve into it seat. until you call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm actually really looking forward to the book because uh, it. it you know, I, I've I want to understand how it got to this point. I mean, when I was going to university in the '80s, there was none of this, like zilch, right. as far as I could tell. Right. It, well, it just I, I, you know, bang. when I was doing my undergrad in the '90s, there was some of that stuff, but it was it was taught in a way that you know, here's a lens through to you know look at social phenomenon. Here's another one, mm. right? Like it wasn't indoctrination; it was about introducing theories, mm. yeah. competing theories, right? And that I think was very healthy, you know. Yeah. Yes, and they drove those other theories out in, yeah. you know, in an effort to That's simplify things because they want it to be a, you know, this is, interestingly, these are people that say there's no binary in gender, but these are the most binary thinkers on earth. Mm. Everything is black and white. There's no... Yep, I agree. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. That's just the way they think. Like I said, like, nuance is dead. Um, and it's a shame because the, all the interesting stuff is in the nuance not in the black and white and it, mm -hmm. black and white is easy yeah. even in uh, evolutionary psychology for example there's oh, a huge significant element of the culture of cultural elements you know which mm -hmm. has been developed through this notion of uh memes as uh the real definite you know the real original meaning of memes as as uh units of cultural yeah transit. yeah yeah, yeah. The, it's a the, it's a cultural carrier like a, it's a gene in, in culture that carries cultural information like a gene carries biological information yeah uh, and it reproduces in brains and gets spread right. around that kind of uh, uh, dawkins well, is now on social yeah, media yeah, not, yeah <laughs> social media yeah. is is going to be the new uh overlord because the, that's where all the memes are right yeah, yeah. but memes meme the word meme has taken on an entirely different yeah you know it, now they're i don't know they're trying to like make memes illegal in certain european countries so, <laughs> like wow like yeah. seriously it's like I trying to make a, a classic advertisement five state you know put on a you know it, turn, it turns into a graphical uh you know a graphical version of a with a textual statement involved i mean it's not and so that's all it's, people think memes are memes are yeah just, yeah, meme has a different meaning on on Facebook than it does in uh, academia. That's for sure. Meme, meme is just well, funny. Yeah, funny but I, I think the academic term has just been deployed in a very different way, right? It's mm -hmm. a meme. Yeah. It's not yeah. a meme. <laughs> like who? Who? You know, like uh, it's a unit of cultural trans transmission according to Dawkins. So that could mean anything from a work of literature or music or art yeah. or. I don't know, a scientific idea, right? Anything that embeds itself into one brain, essentially, and then gets passed on and taken up by others. Mm -hmm. 
That's right. And it competes yeah. just like genes do for survivability based on their, its, its suitability in the environment, how well it's, it, it's greeted mm-hmm. by the environment, how well the environment, uh, uh, how well it survives within a given context, cultural context. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it's changes. It makes for a very fast, rapid change in in uh, culture, and and in fact, what is social justice but a set of memes that are circulating yeah. and happen to be going, uh, you know, at a cancerous rate, uh, and like a cancer. As That's well. interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, because I, I, I think the same argument could, could apply on their side as well. You know, like obviously, I have oh, my uh, that's, biases. That's true of all ideas, by... though, right? It, it, well, like of course, white supremacist yeah. ideas are the you know they're just as mimetic the, as as social justice ones. Well, they and, have and their, here again, um, here's another lens through which to look at the world and view human phenomenon. Like, you can look at it as mimetic, you can look at it as, you know, through the social justice warrior lens or patriarchy oh, or, you know, whatever, warrior. you know, or, or um, are you familiar with the work of Gad Sat? Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's really fascinating work, you know, Mm -hmm. evolutionary psychology combined with marketing. Yeah. Which is kind of my background, you know. Yeah. He studies uh, marketing from an evolutionary standpoint. Yeah. It's very stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because marketing, well, it's. it's kind of it's a an evolutionary algorithm from from a computer science perspective because it, it finds what's what works, right? It, right. It, that's yeah. what it does. It it doesn't necessarily intend on you know exploiting that, but it does because that is what gets the sales. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sex yeah. sells. I'm sorry, you know, you can make all your arguments about, um, you know, oh, it's exploitive and that kind of thing, but bloody hell, when it comes down to you know the green. Uh, it sells. Mm-hmm. It's just a yeah. fact of reality, yeah. you know. Exactly. We talked about on his show. We talked about how um, uh, literary Darwinism, or you know, uh, a Darwinistic uh, treatment of literature, has been utterly banned. Uh, oh, I'm from, sure. Yeah, really? not, you yeah. can't. You can't be um, a literary Darwinist uh, and survive. You know, I mean, there are. If you have tenure, you can put out books. You know, anything you want, but. It's not going to get you anywhere uh, coming through. Well, and and I'm just going to bring, like, now I'm reminded of Jordan Peterson and his kind of um, archetypes and the Jungian thing and that kind of thing, right? And uh, that's quite a clash to our community, I would say. You know, so, you know, well, he and Gets out of actually, or was it, well, Sam Harrison for sure, but um, um, it seems to me that Jordan Peterson is. Oh God, this is terrible word, but vomiting up the same old arguments that creationists have been using for hundreds of years, if not, you know, millennia, right? He's now he sees he sees religious uh, religion in terms of uh, archetypes. Yeah, yeah. And these Jungian. are yeah, it's a Jungian yeah. interpretation of religiosity and belief and mythos, various mythos, and uh, it's an understanding that there is value. I mean, he. Instead of going that far, he posits value in these. There's a there's a normative move that he makes. You can you can analytically say that yeah, there are what might be going on in religion as certain in certain religions in particular is a a kind of uh, archetypal uh, you know mythos that are being uh, that are being purveyed and then occupied by the parishioners, by the by the believers, and so forth. But he goes another step and he posits value in that 
in those in those archetypes, which is fine. He can do that whatever he wants, but just so we know what he's doing. Sure, and and I don't think there's you know that's necessarily an invalid thing. Like you know, you get your hero narratives, and but like why ascribe it all to Christianity? I guess is my problem, right? Because some of these archetypes precede Christian. I, I have to grant that I've not, you know, fully engaged with this entire oh, body yeah, of work. But, thinking you know, of Horace and I've heard some very naive like criticisms coming from him. You know? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to. He's part of my tribe. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, kind of in a way, he is too, ours. You know? Yeah. Because yeah. we all, you know, yeah, I, 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 I would say theology. Randy and I are defenders of free speech, for yeah. sure. Oh, so in that sense, in that you know, sense, on that issue, I'm... I don't know that I agree with him about hierarchy as, I mean, as in human societies, as utterly, de- like, natural, as he puts it, like, they that it's encoded strictly by biology. Oh, no. That means is ridiculous because everything in social life and human life is mediated through culture and, yes. and so on and so forth. So you can't strictly, you can't, that's reductionistic. It's, it's a, it's a biological reductionism. Yeah, uh, yeah we, we are a social well, animal species, but the, the design of society isn't dependent on that. It is mm-hmm. it, other than the fact that we get together in groups. So how we well society how would we, be how we do that only dependent on that. I then, mean, wouldn't it? You, you could say that in humans, there's culture is an emergent property of our biology, and but once you have an emergent property, it has another. It becomes a whole other qualitative type of reality. It changes. Uh, the it doesn't strictly operate according to the rules of the. Of the substrate from which it emerged, it's now its own independent being, mm-hmm. and so therefore you can't really reduce human behavior to biological substrates as such unproblematically. You can acknowledge that indeed, you know, evolution has shaped our behavior, and it has to have over billions of years. But also, there's cultural evolution that's going on at a more rapid rate, and actually happens according to Lamarckian. Uh, Principles, as, as it turns out, and Lamar- linguistic yeah, evolution kind of, yeah, as well. Kind of with that, yeah. You know, linguistic, linguistic evolution, like words oh, okay. change yeah, meaning yeah, yeah. over time. Well, sure. We just discuss yeah, names, yeah, 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 right, absolutely. You know? yeah. 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 yeah, that's a cultural yeah. thing for sure. In a way, so it, it's you know, it's a disagreement. I agree with him on the, um, on the principle of uh, academic freedom and the um, the uh, and the opening up of the panoply of various types of thinking in the university rather than the social justice restriction and asphyxiation that we are under now. Um, that doesn't mean I agree with everything he says. He, yeah. I, yeah. I do no, agree. He should yeah. be allowed to say it. That's the difference, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the, yeah actually, exactly. something yeah. I forgot to touch on. Um, at New York University, they created a an anonymous phone lo- uh service where somebody can make a complaint anonymously about a professor oh yeah well that's actually in over 230 universities nationwide it's called the bias reporting hotline oh my god Uh, they have instituted these in almost every university in the country and these are hotlines where you can either call email or in some universities they have apps for the phone where you can just click on the app Open it up and make your report and send it right there. What could go wrong? No, exactly. What could go wrong? It's, it's social justice uh, 
a surveillance uh, it's a wet dream system yeah <laughs> panopticism as Foucault would put it you know we have panopticism being operating in the university it's kind of like everybody is turned into a, a sentinel a surveillance or a, a Stasi agent yeah uh, that, that's exactly so. it which I mean, is it, a very much a um, Foucault uh, concept right power mm -hmm. and uh, yeah 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 it's it's changing <laughs> yeah. from Leitron J at that point to to 1984. I mean, now you've got, you know, yeah. that, that's pure 1984. And it's the tail They don't see it, they don't see it. And, mm -hmm. and these biases are, and so the bias infraction or microaggression is, is reported and then it's arbitrated uh, this, this bias response team, the administrators who who decide uh, who are you know who basically arbitrate these bias uh, infractions? They operate utterly behind closed doors, without no without any transparency, and nobody knows what their biases are. As if they're some bias-free people, they're not. Of course, they're not. So, yeah. interestingly yeah. enough, they're positing themselves as utterly neutral, but they're not neutral. They're social justice-inflected uh, administrators who are judging everything from a social justice ideological perspective that's and that's the, the implicit thing that they can't say but it's true they can't say it though how do you defend it, yourself it that the university has been taken over by social justice ideology yeah, so um yeah, if, if you guys aren't uncomfortable with this can we make can we talk about lindsay shepherd or do you wish to I'm continue to I'm triggered. at the end of the show where we want to um <laughs> get your promotional like yes, promote you and your absolutely. book and, and yeah. all that kind of stuff but if you want to talk about Twitter. like because yeah. you know lindsay shepherd had the i guess foresight to record a really painful conversation oh, like, oh, oh. Yeah. The, 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 this is the the grad student in canada who uh yeah wilford Laurier. well and she showed a bit uh, of uh YouTube jordan peterson jordan peterson speaking yeah was chastised uh and penalized punished yeah 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 i mean i think you know it's amazing um that was a star chamber. She, was, had the, she had the foresight to record her encounter, which I, I looked back on mine, and I wish I had recorded what happened in mine. And then so, because this is, they're using that lack of a recording to lie. In fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it was uh, quite the, the, Inquisition. I mean, it, it Ram Buchanan, who was the who oversaw the TAs. Um, he was oversaw. He, oversaw. Excuse <laughs> me, Nazi. Um, um, yeah, he, he was uh, basically tr saying that you know, like she was treating the students as adults. You know, having a discussion. You know, what do you do with this? I'm. He was right. saying you should have been critical, meaning she should have condemned Peterson. Which in the in the context, it's pretty clear. And yeah, he's he saying that they are young adults, that, right? as if that makes a difference. I mean, it's crazy. Let's forget it now. Everybody's Hitler now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially what, Christine. That, um... Jeez. <laughs> What what's what's the guy's name who uh, posited yeah. that? Godwin. Um, Godwin. Yeah, Godwin's law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Everybody's racist. Everybody's racist. Whoever the Hitler, um, and you know, comparison loses, you know, and uh, but they don't care about that. No, no, it's. <laughs> 
It's the irony is lost on them. I mean, yeah, he, he, yeah, he actually did invoke Godwin's law, didn't he? Uh, he came out, and, you know, it was crazy, yeah, crazy comparison. Um, well, Peterson, yeah, I mean, he's just doing the same shit that you know, if he bothered to look at you know um, videos of atheists that are challenging these points, he probably wouldn't say such a thing. But he doesn't know, so he's spewing out the same old shit as far you know, like from my take anyway. He just doesn't what realize that. You know, yeah, about what are you talking about? Well, I mean, there's there's so many arguments. Um, in favor of a deity or whatever, right? And yeah, they've the been okay. rebutted, you know, if not outright refuted for I saw decades, if not, you know. So trying to yeah. make proofs of the existence of God. Yeah, good luck. Well, yeah, and he's like, oh, atheists don't really exist. And I'm like, oh, God. Oh, that's just, that's just condescending. <laughs> yeah, we that, do. Not, like, think yeah. about, you know, like, I, I'm, I'm a lifer you know raised by an agnostic and an atheist right and um, like oh i you know they think they're atheists and like no i don't think i'm an atheist i've just never had that indoctrination in me in the first place and like think about kids from i don't know um some of the more secular countries where you know non-belief is 60 70 percent those kids aren't you know like they don't think they're atheists they're they're just simply brought up with reality yeah that's the norm you know i think he's wrong i don't think you can have knowledge uh one way or the other with reference to, you know, this is what Popper, uh, Karl Popper suggested in his Logic of Scientific Discovery, 1958 or 59, that there was a demarcation principle and the, metaphys- yeah, yeah. And the, yeah, phys- yeah. the metaphysical cannot be adjudicated by scientific means. Yeah. And, and that's it. Well, true, but the, yeah. there are some gods yeah. that are logically impossible. So, it, you know, it, they're, you know, the omnipotent, omnibenevolent, and omnipresent God. It, that's a logical contradiction. You can't have that. So there there are some, but... Well, that's but the deist perspective, though, it's hard to argue the deist perspective because they're essentially, their claim is essentially there's a prime mover who started things off and is now hounds off and um, amoral and, you know, just isn't interested in who you're sleeping with or, you know, mm-hmm. what you're eating or whatever, right? Yeah, the problem with that, uh, the uh, uh, the uh, deist the the deist position is the they can't account for the problem of evil. Uh, well, again, this is a you know argument that's been what uh, millennia. I don't know how old the argument is, but it seems millennia, right? That's several hundred years. The deism was it's only, it's only about yeah, three three hundred years, three or four hundred years old. But uh, <laughs> it's. Uh, but if you take it into other languages, like you can go back to the Spartans, they were non-believers. You can go back to, you know, um, Aristotle. Uh, didn't seem to me like he was much of a believer, so it's not that new. Well, certainly, Socrates was a believer. Well, Socrates was accused of atheism. Oh yeah, well he it was because of his definition of of God. It was not. He didn't believe in the the pantheon of gods uh, that was prevalent at the time. Yeah, you know that it, the term atheism has changed. That's another word that's evolved, right? At one time it meant non-Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, now it just mean, it means somebody who doesn't believe in God, which makes more sense actually. But that's yeah, just me. I, I just believe in the demarcation principle. I I don't think that you can really posit knowledge. Uh, about that 
because knowledge is not it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't lend itself it doesn't it can't be adjudicated in, in, the, in that register um, so you can be an agnostic who believes for example you don't yeah. know but yes, you that's believe. Right. Yeah. Or you can kind of, but I think most orthogonal. of us would say if you if you have doubts, you're probably not really a believer. You could be an agnostic you know? who doesn't believe too. Yeah. yeah. You can well, be, I think yeah, that's what way. most most atheists are. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. You know, yeah. agnostic, agnostic atheists. Yeah. If if we were presented with evidence that you know Third. were to change our minds, we would jump on board. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily mean that we'd worship that God, but so don't some atheists claim to have knowledge? That God doesn't exist. I, I mean, they. Few. Yeah, that would be an antitheist. I, I, I think that we do have knowledge of certain gods not existing, but. It, yeah, it depends. like the God it of depends. the Christian Bible or whatever. You know, I think that. Yeah, he's out. Like um, Michael Shermer has done a pretty, you know, good job of debunking that. But um, yeah, I, I think you know the claim with atheism is we don't believe in a God, and the claim with agnosticism is we don't know, yeah. right? Well, and until we're, a you know, like, thing. again, I refer back to my childhood, and my mom telling me, you know, like, show me, and I'll believe, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you could, most, I think most atheists are agnostic, but there are some um, in that quadrant of, you know, yeah, um, say they, they know that they, they, that they know God doesn't exist. Yeah. 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 Which is, I, you know, group. I can't, I can't abide that because I just think it's, well, it's, it's, it's hubristic, but it's worse than that. It's, 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 it's making a claim that you'd have to, you'd have to be God to be able to know. Uh, so, <laughs> but in what sense is it hubristic? That that's an interesting way to put it because we're just claiming we don't know. Whereas, uh, no, no, that we challenge. I'm talking about antitheists. Yeah. I'm talking okay. About okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah, sorry. yeah. I'm yeah. talking about the Gnostic, the yeah, Gnostic, Gnostic atheists. atheists. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That they say, you know, those who say they definitively know there is no God, and I would say, what well, my argument to that is that you'd have to be God to know that, um, because you'd have to have a certain omniscience in the sense that you'd have to know everything that can be known, and that would be one of them. So. Uh, and that's because I don't think it's a, I think it's a metaphysical, it's not, we're not, I don't think the spaghetti monster uh, analogy or argument works because that's not what's being posited, something like a material being in the sky. It's a non-material entity that can't be uh, quantified, and so it doesn't follow, you know, those rules. So it is a metaphysical uh, claim. And well, except it's educated in terms of empirical science. Well, except okay, if, but if the, it interacts the with the spaghetti monster then... was invoked for a particular reason to challenge creationism in schools and that kind of thing. So it was more a political yeah. statement, yeah. right? It, you know, nobody actually believes that there's a flying spaghetti monster, even though Randy and I are ordained into the church as, you know, ministers, right? <laughs> but I just mean those who posit that others believe that are mistaken because that's not. That's not exactly there. I mean, unless they're mistaken, that's not. That is. That doesn't really characterize Christianity. Christian believers, or even Muslim believers, or any kind of believers. I mean, nobody positing there's a man in the or some monster in the sky or some physical. But they do. Their holy texts do posit empirical claims, and they've been 
many of them must have been essentially disproven. Like I get where you're coming from with philosophical yeah. um, assertions, well, but goalposts. like when you, you know, like, no, I don't think Ella rode up to the sky in a freaking uniform, <laughs> uniform, horse. unicorn, yeah, white unicorn? horse or whatever, mm, like, <laughs> remember, yeah. you know, like, no, you, you could say that. I mean, those who, I don't think any Christians don't really buy that. And they're not talking about that in any sort of literal way. I think that's a metaphorical uh, construction. Well, some, some no, I, I think some people do take, that, you know, yeah. uh, texts very literally. Yeah. Especially yeah. having, you know, like interacted with many ex-Muslims and that kind of thing. Of mm-hmm. yeah. Who are very critical about, you know, um, their, I guess, religious background that have abandoned I'm not that. defending and, religion. I'm just, I'm not trying to defend religion as, as, as such. My idea is just to be it's to uh, basically, I, I believe in a sort of big tent uh, secularism in the sense of I don't want to exclude people who yeah. want to be involved in, in those and right. in, in the kind Fair of. Fair enough. Uh, and I'm sorry if I put you in an yeah. uncomfortable position. It brings up a, a broader point that, that there are the. the spectrum of belief within Christianity is huge, and, yeah. as well it is in Islam, and there are some that are really literal about you know, both the Bible and, and the Quran, and, and really do believe that uh, Muhammad rode up on a winged, winged horse. It's very broad, and I think Penn Teller you know, I think he's got a point when he says there is no such thing as Christianity as a single entity. It's a broad, very broad For range sure. of belief. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You've got nuns in the U- Catholic nuns in the U.S. that are um, championing, ch- sorry, championing <laughs> women's reproductive rights that are yeah. pro pro choice, yeah. not yeah. Yeah. Are, right? the, so Catholics for choice isn't that what the group is called? Yeah. Uh, Evangelical so. Christians who are you know are evangelical uh, Christians who who would you know who are certainly different from the uh, I guess they're some sort of uh, Episcopalian women ministers who are fe- effectively like social justice warriors, if you will. Uh, they certainly, these two, these two camps really have almost nothing in common besides a, a common vocabulary that they don't even agree on the meaning of the term. So there's, it's almost like a wholly different culture, different, so it's almost it's a different yeah. Way. yeah, they don't even understand each other is what you're saying, no, they right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. they don't understand yeah. women ministers with tattoos talking about the immigrants. You know, they don't care about that, and they think it's that has nothing to do with Christianity in their minds. Nothing. Yeah. 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 It's it's just uh, yeah it, the 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 range of ideas <clears throat> within that umbrella of Christianity is just huge. I mean, you can't uh, assume mm-hmm. anything about any of any one of them. Uh, but it's a healthy Baptism. debate that's going on within their own community. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. It's interesting that the you know the real fu- the real scary fundamentalists to me now are are not the religious right any longer. But that's they're not in ascendancy at all. It's the social justice left. That's the real religious fundamentalist in my mind. I completely uh, concur with that. Yeah, they 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 frighten me because they're just uh, reminded of Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it, well, not, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I have to make the distinction between SJWs 
who are interested in things like man spreading and blah 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 kind of thing. <laughs> and or, or, what the hell? Go away. Versus social justice warriors, or sorry, um, the the regressive left, right? Who are actually defending very sinister practices oh. outside of their own country because they're just simply not aware of what's outside their own borders. You know. Well, the contradictions of leftism are incredible. Like the uh, the fact that you have uh, Western feminists embracing. You know, Linda Sarsour. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, oh, don't yeah. get me started. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't get me started on Linda Sarsour. <laughs> we could be here all night. Oh, yeah, yeah. She said the wrong thing. Linda Sarsour, everything blows up. No, <laughs> I just, just do not get it. I've had, oh, never mind. <laughs> exactly, you're exactly right. That's just a prime example of exactly what I'm talking the about. Day I'm that trying she... to figure out that whole thing. It's why do they embrace something that is anathema to their own ideological belief you know ideology and i think it is weird it's got to be two things one i think one of them is cultural relativism yeah i hate that and the other one is the friend of my the enemy of my enemy is my friend um, I'll, I'll go one further on you and i will say that the word islamophobia has been deployed into popular culture designed deliberately oh, yeah. you know as opposed to anti-muslim bigotry which i totally agree exists yeah. and i will yeah. defend you know Right? Anybody yeah. who's, you know, being. They shouldn't discriminate against. against right? On the basis of anything. Yeah, they shouldn't exactly. discriminate against. Uh, but I think we have a right to fear Islam as a political movement. That's right. Islamism, yes. You don't hear um, Christianophobia or Hindu, you know, phobia. It's just not a word that exists in our vocabulary. That's because it's allowed. Um, to be real frank, I mean, it is allowed. Uh, whereas, you know, well, it's uh, been deployed deliberately into the, see, you know, I guess the social realm to right. look at that. You as a, as a tool of, uh, you know, I, I don't want to sound like I'm paranoid or anything, but again, I've talked to a lot of ex-Muslims and they they see through this shit. You know, it's yeah. it's a rhetorical, it's an sure. dishonest rhetorical tactic still to Muslim. you know call out people racist because you disagree with the tenets of a religion which right. has nothing to do with race. Yeah, you know? on that on that note, I want to say that I critique in my book transgender ideology, which I say is no more no more makes me a transphobe than were that than I would be a, a, a hater of individual scientologists if i critique scientology uh well so yeah. other, i'm yeah. saying it's, it's legitimate to critique a particular ideology and a political idea and a theoretical or a philosophical idea you, you can't you can't say that that therefore makes you a hater of those people who who, who embrace that that's that's completely uh non sequitur you know but they don't well, care. it's a red herring <laughs> yeah it's a it's a total red herring Right. Right. They, they try to equate the two or conflate the two, and it, it is not, you know, it's just not true. Not only is it not true, but it actually harms people that are, you know, like Majid Nawaz says, the majority within, or sorry, the minority within the minority, right? That's it right. harms people. And he yeah. won that lawsuit with the um, oh, the um, SPLC. S S yeah, 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 yeah. Good. Because, yeah, they were putting him at danger. Well, I didn't yeah. win it. They settled. But, yeah, there's also a bunch of other people on that list of deplorables that SPLC came up with that are uh, going to sue as well. So <laughs> it, it, it makes their prison that much harder to get out of. And, that, and that's not to say that, you know, I'm, you know, that's not to suggest any sort of messianic complex 
where I'm looking to liberate people from pernicious ideologies. Although if it happens, that's great. Mm -hmm. But but on the other hand, uh, to 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 say that critiquing that ideology is off limits, that makes those people who want to get out or try to find a way to criticize it have no tools to do yeah. it. Yeah, no, they're shut down right away. Yeah. Well, and in, in my case, um, I don't want to, you know, because I'm not. There are some groups that can defend themselves because they enjoy freedom of speech. But when I speak out on behalf of um, atheists and Muslim societies, people, mm -hmm. you know, message me. They, you know, they don't dare speak, you know, publicly. But I'm sorry I can't friend you, but thank you so much for sharing these ideas. You know, so I'm I'm pretty comfortable with um, critiquing that whereas um some of the north american things i'm not so comfortable critiquing because i am sorry i think man spreading is bullshit and stupid <laughs> I, I i'm just not going to waste my time on that shit right, right? In your damn but purses. if i say that which i have now obviously um i'm going to get hate on what me right though what about mansplaining <laughs> yeah but i'm womansplaining to you exactly what i'm talking about here right you know yeah. just like yeah there's toxic masculinity and there's toxic femininity too mm -hmm. right you know it's it's not oh, this one-sided thing you. they're coming yeah. for you Right. <laughs> you, you just yeah, push the button. You know what? I, I've decided I don't get enough hate in my life. Like everybody seems to like me, and I just want to be controversial. It's you know, if you're not pissing off people, you're not doing your job, right? <laughs> Damn straight. Justice, red guard, and make them legal, legally able to you know imprison us. We're all going down to the gulag anyway. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no kidding. Yeah, yeah. Our gulag archipelago <laughs> all, all over again. Mm -hmm. yes. So anyway, we've we've gone like an hour and three quarters. We've been chatting, and so we we you've got your book coming out on August first. Yeah, uh, the springtime for Time snowflakes. Book of the year? No, that was a joke. Was, yeah, kinda, <laughs> oh, yeah. <okay. laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> when I was, I was talking the Time magazine uh, 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 cover, in which they suggested that you know uh, Trump had in, imprisoned this uh, little girl without. Yeah, her. yeah. Totally turned out to be a fabrication. So I figured if, if time to do anything like that and make up anything and put it on their cover, so can I. And so you mean a meme? That was a meme. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I, I felt bad that anybody believed it because I wish it were true, but it, it isn't. Uh, <laughs> Not yet. yet. But yeah, it's going to be true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I look forward to this because yeah. I think it is a. I've actually been looking for books on exactly this topic, and there just doesn't seem to be anything out there. And I'm looking forward to uh, see, hearing uh, or reading your your, uh, your hypotheses on this, and and, okay. and it should be a very interesting uh, talk. It's it's done in a memoir uh, form. Yes. I actually yeah. write it as uh, I go through uh, uh, a narrative of my post you know, of my graduate education and all this. So I was an insider. I, I, I'm an apostate. So yep, that's where. I well, yeah, it's uh, you're you get labeled with all the uh, standard. You know, that's one thing I notice about social justice is that if you violate dogma, if you go run, you, you to speak against dogma, that it is uh, the greatest possible punishment is, is mm -hmm. what's meted out immediately it's not even if it's perceived it's not even necessarily having to be a real slight and, and it's it's something that you know that it drives yeah. me nuts you, all you wrong. have to do it's is wrong. make a slight linguistic slip and you're you're yeah. cooked i mean and they have strict very strict linguistic 
you know, rules and, uh, and uh, phraseology that you have to abide by or else you're out, you know. Yeah, well, and, literally you're out because what happened at yeah. Ryerson University, I don't know if you heard about this, uh, a, the department head was at a seminar who was being given by a, a woman of color and had left the room. And oh, yeah, I saw that, yeah. You saw that? that? Yeah. And you, nobody bothered to ask this this department had why he left the room it was just assumed to be the worst case scenario the most uh, egregious case and he eventually had to resign it's crazy he he he, he left the room while a sacred victim cat uh identity yes. person was on the, speaking on the top there. of the pyramid yeah this is a this is a this is like you know walk it's like walking out if it's like walking out of a lecture that God was giving, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, yeah, as you're amazing. talking about somebody whose status as a social in the social justice realm is uh, is in, is inviolable and it's it's sacred. It, it, it's a tangible sacred status. Yeah. Yeah, and it just amazes me that that something that could be it's just a perceived slight. It's not mm. even real becomes uh, something that somebody has to resign over. It just makes no sense. It's a tail wagging the dog. I would not have resigned. I would force them to the, push me to the wall off the edge, and then I would, you know, there's no way. Never apologize, never quit, never resign, never, you know, never say you're sorry. And uh, administrations and, uh, cave into this. That's the thing. Yeah. There's no support for, for their staff. And don't go into, don't let them put you in any kind of, uh, you know, remediation or, you know, re-education camps effectively, <laughs> you know, don't yeah. go for it. Yeah. Like the, the, what was that one uh, that it was on toxic, it was a course for new students uh, on toxic masculinity. And yeah. I'm like, no, believe me, I'm not going to go. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, the first okay. step in indoctrination. And the, and the uh, uh, I don't know if you've heard about the tunnels of oppression that happen in orientations in uh, universities in, in the U.S. In the Midwest, they oh, make wow. white students go through a tunnel. And while they're going through this tunnel, minority students hurl epithets and abusive language on them so that they understand what it's like to suffer racism. This is part of the orientation pro uh, program. I had not heard My of that. God. That is fascinating. And, uh, yeah, wow. Well, <laughs> it's just bad. unbelievable. There was no way yeah. I would ex I would uh, accede to such a thing. No, I well, if I found my daughter was going, you know, I have a 21-year-old daughter, and if, if I found she was going, well, Randy, she actually got the hard copy of that oh, um, wow. consent, consensual. Oh my God, it's so condescending. There's like a coloring book up here that they're giving away to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you've got one too. Yeah. The, con yeah. the consent it's coloring super, book. I, it's I kid so you offensive not. in terms of like that. You know, they're giving this out to post secondary students, and it's just so mind numbingly <laughs> insulting in terms of um, their maturity level. Yeah, and family. You know? Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. At NYU, I had to go through this. Uh, I did do it because if you didn't do it, you, you couldn't go back. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I didn't have to go in any room or get any lectures at me, but they made us go through this quiz. And one of the questions, it was a sexual harassment thing. One of the questions is if a, if a student tells you that they were, they were uh, sexually assaulted by somebody while they were in fifth grade, 
do you have to tell the university uh, Title IX, that's what they call it, the Title IX officer? And I said, no. I mean, what do I have to do with you know, what would the university be arbitrating or dealing with past history, like ancient history in terms of students? It's a matter for police. Yeah. And the answer was, yes, you have to tell them. You have oh, to tell them. come on. Why? <laughs> what can they do about it? I don't know. Well, I, I, you know what? I would, I would ask Unreal. the student whether they wanted me to deal with that, you know, like report it. And here's the procedures I can help you with. But I would... Totally encourage them to go to the police. This is obligatory you know? to tell the university, it's and it's like the university has become this overlord. This, you know, it is incredible what they arrogate to themselves as their domain, as their, uh, as under their purview. It's incredible, and, yeah. and relationships with uh, between employees of the university and people who have nothing to do with the university are now being, uh, you know, being regulated and and. And observed and and monitored and uh, uh, treated under the rubric of university business. They are if you do you, you can't have a, a falling out with something. anything you do with anybody anywhere, whether it has anything to do with university policy or not. If you have a relationship gone sour and you know anything, it, it can't. It's university business. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's all resulting from the dear colleague letter uh, from the Obama administration. That's right. Title IX, and it was never intended for this purpose. Mm-mm. You know, it, it's it's a bunch of kangaroo courts. I mean, if somebody is sexually assaulted, they should be going to the police. You that's go to it. the police. The university has no business yeah. investigating, uh, policing it, arbitrating anything penalizing it's, they don't it's not their it's not their purview it's the it's a it's a police matter if yeah. you're raped that's a crime yeah the police you don't talk to the some administrator about that what are they what are they what authority should they have over that they should have none they go to the police over. or yeah. tweeting it right yeah like, come right. on go to right. the police and you know what the police would say don't talk about this that's no. right. They would say, yep. "Don't tweet about it. Don't because we need to investigate." Yep. Right. Shut up. Wanna, you know. Yeah. yeah. Don't collude. Don't, don't jump on the Me Too bandwagon to get virtue points. Uh, you know, by well, virtue of it. your uh, victimization, just report the crime. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh wow, we're yeah. just we're gonna get nailed for this. <laughs> oh, we are. Like I said, I just don't get enough hate in my life. Like I try to yeah. cause controversy, and everybody thinks I'm so oh, sweet. You're so conciliatory. <laughs> oh, I, you and me both. I, I can't either. It's just, it just, it's just silliness run amok. I don't know, like. Uh, I but have you to, know me. I like I'm a diplomat, obviously, right? Yeah, you are. And I'll I mean, even you, you know, argue on the you know like sure. devil's advocate you build side of things and, too. Yeah, like you know, try to negotiate peace, essentially, right? So yeah, people perceive That's me fine. as being, you know, yeah. I'm I guess in my book, I don't think you know that it should be like, for example, that social justice, peace, belief, or, or believers should be driven out of the university. I, what I yeah. say in the book is that they should be taken down from the parapet of running the university and treated like their belief should be treated like any other belief. Stop the tail wagging the dog. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like the social sciences 
ought to do, you know, like I get that there's different methodologies and that kind of thing in social sciences, but they ought to, you know, I guess from a, what do I want to call it, um, um, demarcation perspective, mm-hmm. try to be as um, empirically robust as they can. That's right. And don't no, be based on uh, certain things as uh, verboten to talk about or taboo or yeah. based on dicta that are, you know, being handed down by social justice warrior. And I don't even think so much it's not talked about. It's just that people put on blinders and refuse to listen to crit- criticisms of their own theory, right? Well, they don't allow it. They don't allow this. Yeah. You know, if you go into a gender studies classroom, you can't invoke evolutionary biology unless you're doing it in a derisory way in order to make a joke of it or condemn yeah. it. You yeah. cannot entertain it uh, seriously or you're going to be run out. Or you're, or yeah. you're committing violence yeah. by doing that. That's, yes. Yeah, language is violence. I just here, hate yeah. that. Like, wow. yeah, I'm gonna really, really be violent then. <laughs> well, I, I have to say that I just find, you know, like when there's been a, re- okay, I'll invoke my German guilt again, kind of thing. But the whole Holocaust, we should, we ought to take serious lessons from from that. And um, when we start enacting language that trivializes those experiences, oh, oh, I get oh, really mad. I get really yeah, mad. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah making comparisons. This and that is like a concentration camp, or this. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. A, these everybody. Or you're a, a Nazi, you know? I was yeah. called Nazi, and I'm a classical liberal, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I, I mean, I am so. My whole thing is anti-authoritarianism. Yeah, and yet to call me a Nazi is so far off. You know, they're just so far off. They're so politically illiterate. It's incredible, and it also, as you said, it trivializes the real horrors that people suffered. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Now I have to interject here because I have a comment from from Sam, and he asks, "How did you get permission to publish this book?" Permission from who? Yes, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's. <laughs> uh, I don't need permission to publish. It. That's the thing. You know, that's yeah. my argument is that I'm allowed to say what I want to, uh, provided I don't violate. You know, like in the United States, free speech has a very broad parameters. We're allowed to say things, even if it's hate speech. There's no such category in our country uh, under mm-hmm. law. But you're not allowed to say, "Kill those bastards yes. right there." And, you know, that is inciting violence. You can't do that. Well, that's kind of what we would regard as hate speech here in Canada. Would it, would it? You, can't, you can't incite violence. You can't, you know, yell a fire in the theater or whatever right. kind of thing, right? Right. So, that's part and, of it, but it's not I, the I guess whole we've, you know, definition. our blasphemy laws have been taken off our books, thank goodness. Thank well, you. Well, they're being true. put back on, aren't they? Yeah, we don't Sorry. have. Yeah. Well, freedom of, of uh, belief is. Um, well, that's yeah, part of the UN, expression you know, human rights. Criticizing Islam, Islam, Islam in England is is, flat, is, is now illegal. Yes. So that yeah. is the burning the, 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 That's reinstituting a, a blasphemy law. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They don't have. Well, exactly. they don't have free uh, free speech. Uh, you know, they don't have really have. They don't have a constitution, but. It's all common law, but uh, they don't have free speech in England. It, no. Technically, uh, same with Germany. And Germany's the, doing the same and, thing. And the, the, law, the, the religion they're blaspheming in is not Islamist. It's social justice. That's the religion they're, whose tenets they're violating. That's the religion that's dominating the state. Yeah. Well, you see the 
see it in the tweets from the police, uh, you know, uh, making derogatory comments is illegal. And, of course, the first thing people do <laughs> is, is tweet derogatory comments to the police. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, really, you didn't see that coming, did you? <laughs> You're, you're allowed to do that. I mean, that's really. But if you if you if you cri- criticize the you know, Islamic grooming gangs, like right. Tommy Robinson, you can't talk about that. You can't you can't talk about that. You know, even though Majid Nawaz, I got it backwards. Najid Nawaz, do I have it backwards again? Majid Nawaz. There we go. Yeah. Um, yeah, fine. yeah. He, he's uh, he's talked about the grooming gags on, on the BBC, but uh, I, I guess he's allowed because he's he's Muslim. I mean, it's uh, kind, of, kind of a contradiction. Uh, so it's a protected category. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's yeah. a special case, and you know, but if you're not Muslim, well, you can't talk about that, yeah, which is I mean, ridiculous. I don't like the term grooming gang. It's such a euphemism. These are rape yes. gangs. Yeah, know? they're rape gangs. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know what we call them? What they are? They're rape. They're rape training. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's. Uh, yeah. It's, well, that's like I thought grooming gangs, gangs that are, you know, in in hindsight, when you say that, I'm like, yeah, you're right, because grooming gang gangs sounds sinister enough, but when you put it in those words, you're just expressing reality in a more profound way. Yeah, grooming yeah. gangs. It's like we're combing their hair, you know. <laughs> yeah. Or eating yeah. insects out of their hair. Giving them bikini waxes and yeah, right. Pedicures and manicures. Yeah. 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 Staining yeah. them in, the, in in prostitution, in forced prostitution. That's what's. Yeah. Called. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like to think most people are familiar with you know grooming, that the difference in language, but yeah, it, it's a like gentle euphemism, I suppose, right? That yeah, I think it's it called out in much sure, more clear yeah. language. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. The question of why, I, what, who gave me, who gave me permission? I wonder what the, the, the uh, questioner is thinking in terms of maybe my lawyers. Uh, oh, my lawyers, yeah, maybe. you know, they're not that happy with this. But <laughs> uh. well, the person who's asking is an ex-Muslim from uh, from Hungary. That's a good question. That I think I he's mean, from yeah. Hungary. Yeah. yeah. So far, we're allowed to say stuff like this. It could come to an end soon, though. Yeah, and and also my friend is very outspoken, <laughs> even mm-hmm. though he posts anonymously, basically. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not so anonymous. <laughs> yeah, I've been pretty I question dogma. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. Anyway, these are uh, real names, even right. Yeah, mm-hmm. the two R market. Yeah. We should uh, t- stop it here. And uh, so yeah. your your book's coming out August first. Right, uh, springtime spring for snowflakes. Snowflakes. Yeah, and your Twitter. You can follow Michael on Twitter. Uh, his handle is at antipcnyuprof. And th- thanks for being on the show. Has been been a great dis- uh, discussion. Uh, yeah, yeah. fantastic, Angie. Yeah, I'd love to have you on again at some point to do some regular stories that we typically do. Oh, get a I love that. Yeah, yeah. Great, have a different perspective. We're always looking for different perspectives. Because uh, right. we start becoming an echo chamber. Yeah, <laughs> I want to kind of avoid that. You know, yeah. uh, I try to avoid that too. Yeah. So great. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah. Nice talking to you. And well, thank you, thank yeah. you to you. But I just want to ask: Is there anything else you'd like to promote or share with our? Three people audience. <laughs> uh, that's just, I think that's enough. Uh, just the book and my Twitter handle, and uh, that's it. Yeah, those are there's 
and once you get into my Twitter account, I'll be, you'll see what other things I'm promoting and certain ideas that I'm actually promoting and things like that. That's, that's that'll do it. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Okay. Good Thanks. night. Good night. You've been listening to the Legion of Reason Diversion coming to you from Alberta, Canada. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to our bi-weekly podcast on iTunes and other podcatchers. Even better, subscribe to our YouTube live sessions where you can join in on the discussion. Thanks for giving us a listen. Music and other sound effects under license from audioblocks.com.